0: Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of
1: never-ending history. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Ealing. And today we're talking about the city of Kamakura, a very popular tourist destination that is steeped in history and tradition. Right?
0: Absolutely. I got the impression it was more of a domestic tourist attraction.
1: Yeah. What did you think when you went there? I mean, it's probably a bigger domestic attraction than an international attraction, but I loved it, man. There's so much to see there. Really fun place to explore. I highly recommend it, especially because it's so close to Tokyo. Like, it's just so easy to do a quick day trip there and get a really different experience than you will walking around the middle of a metropolis, you know?
0: Yeah, it's about an hour south of Tokyo on a train. Mm-hmm. Kamakura has a population of about 170-some thousand. Okay. So not a, not a tiny city, but not a metropolis either. Mm -hmm.
1: And I mean, it's just a super important city in Japanese history. So much so that it actually had a period of time named after it. The Kamakura period was between 1185 and 1333. And it served as the de facto capital of Japan, being the seat of the Kamakura shogunate, the first shogunate in Japan. For about 150 years. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we've talked about the Kamakura period many
0: times. It all comes from this city. Yep. So we're talking about temples, shrines, many.
1: (laughs) Yeah, a lot of people go for their seasonal festivals. It was really popular.
0: Well known for the festivals.
1: Mm -hmm. There's a beach. It's pretty popular. Yep, it's right on the coast of Sagami Bay. If you want to get some nice ocean views, there are places you can do that. And then on all other sides of the city, it's surrounded by these beautiful rolling hills. So there's a lot of great hiking, and you can get some good inland views back there. So a lot to see. So we said there's a ton of history. Should we get into it? Yes. How far back do you want to go? I'm going all the way back. So like at least 10,000 years? At least 10,000 years. (laughs) Okay.
0: They found obsidian and stone tools dated back to the old stone age. Mm-hmm. So like 10,000 or more years old. Crazy old.
1: So people been living in this bay for as long as people have been living in Japan, probably. Mm-hmm. During the Jomon period, around 14,000 to 1,000 BCE, the sea level there was actually much higher than it is now. And a lot of Kamakura was underwater. So at that time, people mostly relied on hunting and fishing to survive, but over time, the sea receded, and during the Yayoi period, between 300 BCE and 300 CE, the economy started shifting towards farming.
0: Yeah, I think about half the current city was underwater. Mm-hmm. Not sure exactly when it receded, but a few thousand years ago. Or so, right?
1: Yeah, somewhere around there. So we talked about the temples and shrines, a lot of those there these days, and those were already around by the Nara period, around 700 CE, and some of the ones that were around back then are still around today, which is pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, it seems to have a few connections to Nara or that time period in the temples and other things. In the Nara period, Kamakura was also a seat of local government offices, And it was a convergence point for land and
1: sea trade routes. Okay. So there was a
0: lot going on even all the way back then.
1: Yeah. But the most notable time period for Kamakura, of course, is the Kamakura period, which starts now, 1185, at the end of the Heian period. What do you got, Paul?
0: So Kamakura became the political center of power, the de facto capital When Minamoto Yoritomo chose it as the seat of his new shogun government.
1: Yeah, so we've talked a bunch before on the podcast about the Taira and the Minamoto, right? They had this big war. They were two powerful
0: clans in Japan.
1: Yes, and at the end of the Heian period, Minamoto no Yoritomo defeated the Taira clan and established the Kamakura shogunate in 1192. So Kamakura was his de facto capital not the official capital of the country because that was still Kyoto but it was where the shogunate was doing all their stuff so basically the capital it was where everything was happening mm-hmm. and as you may recall from our samurai episode this is also kind of the golden age of the samurai and when uh, feudalism was first established in Japan so they set up this system where the samurai are kind of enforcing order for the shogunate
0: yeah And the story of Minamoto, Yoritomo, and the clan battles, and his rise to power is just
1: crazy. Totally.
0: Like, before he became Shogun, all of his sons had already been assassinated, and he'd almost died, and all sorts of stuff.
1: Yeah, this is all, this really reminded me of Game of Thrones. It's all Game of Thrones-type political sabotage and assassinations and all this crazy stuff.
0: Yeah, at least two of his brothers end up getting assassinated because they get too powerful
1: or popular. Mm-hmm. It's,
0: it's wild.
1: Yeah, so you might expect him to die a violent death at somebody's hand, but he actually died when he fell off of a horse at age 51. But then that just spawned a whole bunch more political uh, intrigue and power struggles and stuff for the people that were left behind.
0: Another crazy thing about this whole thing is is that it was the clan wars between them and the Tyra that led to all of this. And then afterwards, he married a woman who was from the Hojo clan, which was a sub-clan of the Tyra. Mm -hmm. And when he died, she ended up taking power by ruling for their son, who wasn't of age yet. So then the Hojo clan ran the shogunate for the next almost 150 years.
1: Yeah, so it's almost like the Tyra ended up winning in the end anyway, even though they lost the war, because the Minamotos kept mysteriously dying. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But anyways, we can't get into all that, or this episode
0: would be hours long.
1: Yeah, we could do several episodes about the history in that time period, probably. But just one last note about the Hojo. This one cool thing about them, I thought, is their, their family crest. Have you seen what their family crest looks like? I don't recall. It's the Triforce. From Legend of Zelda. What? The three three triangles put together into one triangle. You'll actually see that family crest around Kamakura a lot and around other parts of Japan too, but especially in Kamakura because of their influence in this time period. That's crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah.
0: You know, I just got the Ocarina of Time for the DS. I love that game. I'm so dumb. I'm like 15 minutes into the game and I'm like stuck already. I'll bring it over sometime and you can show me what the heck to do. (laughs) Have
1: you gotten to the Deku tree yet? Yeah, I'm like stuck in the tree. Oh, okay. Some of the dungeons can be kind of uh, hard to navigate. I ran out of bullets for my slingshot, so I can't kill these spiders anymore. The ones that are like up out of reach, you mean? Yeah, well then they like drop down when you walk by them or try to jump, jump around. Can't you get them to drop down and then they like spin around and then you swipe your sword at them or something? I was trying, I kept dying. Okay. Anyways... (laughs) <laughs> it's not that kind of podcast, I guess, right? <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, Kamakura became the largest city in Japan during this time. And by about 1250 AD, it had 200,000 people, more than today, right? Yeah, way more than, well, no, not way more, about 30,000 more than today. Yeah. And it was the fourth largest city in the world at this time. Wow, I didn't see that. I mean, 200,000 people is a pretty big city. Yeah. That's crazy, though. Yeah. But you're the biggest city in Japan. You're going to be one of the biggest cities in the world, right? That's how it
1: goes. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> At least for 800 years now. Yeah. So the Kamakura period ended in 1333 when warlord Nita Yoshisada, who was an emperor loyalist, you know, he supported the emperor instead of the shogunate, he attacked and took Kamakura Leading into the Muromachi period, which was an era characterized by chaos and violence during which Kamakura was almost completely destroyed. An interesting note is during
0: the fall of Kamakura, it's said that nearly 900 Hojo clan samurai committed seppuku and killed themselves once defeat was imminent. It's crazy to think about. It's also said that 6,000 townspeople did the same. Wow. I don't know how much of that is legend and how much is true, but they apparently found a grave or pit or something with over 500 skeletons in it in 1953, right in the middle of town. Crazy. (laughs) And they all showed signs of dying of violent death.
1: It's crazy how old those types of ideas are in Japan and how long they lasted, you know? The idea that like killing yourself was more honorable or whatever. I mean, the Kamakura period might've been
0: peak samurai time. Yeah. They live by that code. I guess so. It's interesting, though. If you had 900 people left, I'd think, like, keep fighting. Take some of them bastards with you.
1: I don't know. I guess, isn't it, uh, like, once you get to the point where you know you have no chance, the most honorable thing is to just end it? I guess that's the thought. See, there's so much here. Yeah. We gotta keep moving. Yeah, so uh, after the Muromachi period came the Sengoku period. Even more chaos, fighting, More damage to the city. Yeah. Kamakura held on after
0: its initial fall at the end of the Kamakura period because it was still kind of a regional power, but in the Sengoku period, it got sieged and burned and really just torn apart. Mm -hmm. And uh, then the Edo period happened and Edo being so close to Kamakura really just sucked every last bit of life almost out of the city. Because all the government and everything is happening in Edo now.
1: Yeah, it was just like a long, slow decline for Kamakura. And then at the Edo period, it pretty much just turned back into a small fishing village. Yep. Uh, But after the Meiji Restoration in 1868, Kamakura became popular for its great cultural assets, its beach, and of course, its fascinating history. But at the same time, as we talked about way, way, way back in the Temples and Shrines episode, Kamakura suffered more destruction Because of this anti-Buddhist violence that was going on at the time, Uh, there was this official policy put in place that temples and shrines had to be kept separate, so a lot of the temples in Kamakura were damaged.
0: Yeah, or they had to sell off parts of their land, or they had to give or sell some of their treasures. So it's interesting that it became popular for its culture at the same time they started ripping its culture out
1: of it. Yeah. Yeah. And then 1923 came along and the great Kanto earthquake destroyed a bunch more stuff in Kamakura.
0: Yeah, it hit pretty close to Kamakura and there was a big tsunami and a lot of people died. Mhm. And actually from that earthquake, the beach got way bigger. The beach was this narrow little strip of sand and it got raised up from the earth shaking. Oh. And the beach is now like big. Wow. That happened in 1923. It hasn't always been like that.
1: I didn't realize that. Yeah. It is a really pretty beach these days. I have a picture that's one of my favorite pictures from Japan, honestly.
0: Yeah, I uh, saw some videos of it, and it's it's a lot of sand. It's like a long beach.
1: Yeah. So yeah, a lot of crazy stuff has happened in Kamakura. A lot of power was centralized there, and a lot of stuff was damaged there over time, but good that there's still temples and shrines left these days that you can visit and they've kind of rebuilt a lot of the stuff that uh, was damaged over the years. Yeah, we talked so much about everything got destroyed. There's still
0: so much in Kamakura to go see. Mm -hmm. Let's uh, start talking about some of
1: it. Okay, so you're going to Kamakura. You're probably going to arrive at Kamakura Station, which is right next to this big main street that goes right down the middle of the city called Wakamiya Oji. And this street itself is actually a historic site and was chosen as one of the best 100 streets in Japan. I love there's a list of the best 100 streets in
0: Japan. Yeah,
1: I don't know who came up with that list.
0: I believe it. I feel like we could do a whole episode on this street, dude. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It runs all the way from the beach to the
1: main shrine in Kamakura. Mm Mm-hmm. Tsurugaoka Hachimangu is the name of the shrine. And uh, this street was built all the way back in the Kamakura period by the shogunate in 1182 and was a sacred and ceremonial road because it led right to that shrine. So the first thing I would recommend that you do is walk down that street to the shrine. So if you go straight east from Kamakura Station and you start walking north along this street, you're going to cross under a big red torii gate, which you may remember is uh, symbolizes the division between our world and the world of the kami, right? Yep. And once you pass through that gate, you find yourself on the Dankazura, which is really cool. It's this raised walkway that goes right down the middle of the street. On either side of you, as you're walking down this pathway, there are cars going by, but you're kind of separated from them by lines of cherry trees going all along this path and there's like grass and stone lanterns it's almost like this really long stretched out park right down the middle of the street so
0: i heard that the street used to be much wider and it's been shrunk a little bit hmm. and there used to be are there still canals on the side i saw when he built it there were canals lining the sides of the street or huh. at least one canal
1: i don't think i saw any canals were there pine trees on the edges? Well, okay. To be clear, I, when I visited Kamakura, I actually didn't walk down the street. I didn't know ah, okay, about it. Okay. But in doing the research for this episode, I went on Google Maps and virtually walked down the street. Oh, okay, nice. So did you read something about pine trees? Yeah. You
0: know yeah, there was a three-meter canal flanked by pine trees along the path. Although it might have been further down by the start, by the beach. Before
1: you get to the raised walkway. Okay, yeah, because the section that's lined with cherry trees starts basically at the same latitude of Kamakura Station. Okay, okay. Yeah, which is about halfway up the street, I think. Yeah, something like that.
0: And there are three Tory Gates. I'm not sure which one it is you walk through right at that station.
1: Pretty sure that's the second one. Okay. And then once you get to the end of the Dancasa, there's another Tory Gate, and... In front of that one, there are these three bridges that lead to the shrine. It's a really impressive view. You know, you can check it out on Google Maps if you want to. So you got, like, the shrine in the background framed by these trees and then these bridges in front of you leading out there. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and the shrine's up a bunch
0: of steps, so it's, like, really high in the background Mm -hmm. with the main hall, like, right on top. Yeah. Yeah, it looks great. Totally. So the Don Kazura, which is this raised path, slowly gets wider as it gets closer to the shrine and they did this on purpose to make it look longer when you're looking back at it from the shrine huh. because they built it to mimic the road in Kyoto that leads up to the palace so it's an imitation of that so I think they tried to make it just as grand as that road was they were like make it look longer make it look more majestic
1: that's cool yeah I wonder at what point they started figuring out about these optical illusions they could use to like slightly change your perception of things. Cause I remember watching something about Japanese woodworking and they would use these optical illusions to make shelves look straighter by making them like thinner and thicker at different sections, really subtle stuff, but it, I don't know, it just messes with your brain a little bit and makes things look even a little bit more impressive, you know, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, my last cool fact about this street is that Minamoto Yoritomo made his father in law and his men carry stones by hand to build this raised pathway because he was making it as a dedication to the gods for the safe delivery of his son. Wow. So, his
1: wife was pregnant. He made his father in law and his men build this huge road. <laughs> that takes balls. I, I can't say it any other way. To make your father-in-law just work for you, you show him who's boss, that's... Your father-in-law who was your enemy until recently. Yeah. <laughs> that's like a real show of strength. Yeah.
0: But we, all, we know the Hojo one in the end, right? Yeah. All right, so you get to the shrine. Hachiman, I'll call it for short.
1: Kamakura's most important shrine. It was founded by Minamoto Yoriyoshi in 1063, and it was expanded and moved to its current site in 1180 by Minamoto Yoritomo, the first shogun. And the shrine, that Hachimangu part at the end, there are a bunch of Hachimangu shrines around Japan. And what that means is that the shrine is dedicated to Hachiman, who is the patron deity of the Minamoto family and of samurai in general. So when you walk up the steps to go see the main hall... There's
0: a small shrine museum up there, which displays various treasures owned by the shrine, such as swords and old documents and other things. I always like seeing that old stuff. Yeah, it's totally. really cool to just like see something that's 800 years old. Like, whoa.
1: Absolutely. Uh, as you approach that main hall, there are also these two ponds flanking the approach, and they have some kind of cool symbolism about them. Yes, they do. One pond
0: represents the Minamoto clan and has three islands on it, and the other pond represents the Taira clan, the Minamoto's rivals, and it has four islands on it. Why is the number four significant here?
1: Four is a really unlucky number in Japan because it's pronounced. it can be pronounced she, which is the same as death. So since the Tyra were defeated by the Minamotos, this is, you know, symbolizing the death of the Tyra clan.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like how some skyscrapers in America don't have a 13th floor technically because no one wants to be on the 13th floor. Yeah. So they just call the 13th floor 14 or something. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> you know what floor you're really on. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that, was that Mitch Hedberg? I think that was a Mitch Hedberg joke. Sounds like a Mitch Hedberg joke. There's a
0: garden that half surrounds the Minamoto pond that's open. I saw in the spring and winter, it says it's open, which is hmm. interesting. Cool. But you got to pay to get in. Yeah. Uh, it's known for its peony flowers. I think that's how you say it. I'm not sure. I believe it's peony. Peony? Yeah. That sounds more right. I couldn't find, you know, Wikipedia sometimes has like, it'll play you. someone saying it. They didn't yeah. have that on no. this.
1: Pioni sounds like an Italian name or something. <laughs> Pioni, Yeah. <laughs> There's a secondary shrine. There's a
0: few other auxiliary buildings and things you can wander around and take a look at. There's a bunch of events held throughout the year. It's incredibly popular for New Year's. I heard 2 million visitors come for the New Year's shrine visit.
1: That's a lot of people.
0: Yeah, for a town of 170,000 people. I mean, do you think that's over that's got to be over like the week right probably or the three days or however long they normally do that I can't remember but that's still incredible if you're getting two hundred thousand people a day coming through your shrine yeah it's pretty crazy We'll talk more about
1: Matsuri the festivals later definitely um also in the area you can find the grave of Minamoto Yoritomo like not on the shrine grounds but not too far away so if you're really into history, that might be a fun place to check out while you're in the area. Although I looked at reviews, and it sounded like it sounds like it's not all that impressive. If you just happened to walk by it, you wouldn't really notice that it was anything that special. It's like, oh, there's a grave. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of cool stuff to see south of Kamakura Station. So if you start heading back in that direction... Instead of walking back down the same street you came along, you might want to go west a little bit. It's just like a block west, you'll find yourself on Komachi Street, which is apparently home to an intoxicating mix of sights, sounds, and smells, is what I hear. Yeah, it's known for street food. Lots of delicious street food. Mm Mm-mm. Get a cup of tea, shop for some souvenirs. Saw it has around 250 shops, restaurants, cafes, and boutiques.
0: Yeah, it is like the main shopping street, or at least the main touristy shopping street
1: in town. Mm -hmm. So the next thing I would recommend you do is go back to Kamakura Station and get on something called the Enoden. Enoden is short for the Enoshima Dentetsu, the Enoshima Electric Railway. So, you know, it's a train similar to all the other trains around Japan, except it's a little different because it's got this really like retro, old-fashioned, small-town kind of feel to it somehow. It's a private railway with a route that goes southwest from Kamakura Station, and it goes right along the coast, so you can get some really cool views, and it's going to take you to a bunch of really popular touristy stuff down there. Yeah, the line opened in 1902, so it's a classic rail line. Yeah, and I don't know. you got to look up pictures of the train. Did you look at it, Paul? Yeah, I did. Doesn't it just look like old-timey somehow? It does.
0: Definitely feel like you're in the 1920s or something.
1: Yeah. So on the Enoden, first station I stopped at was Hase, And there's a bunch of cool stuff around that station. If you walk north a few blocks from there, you will get to Kotokuin, which is the temple of the giant Buddha, the Daibutsu. The
0: Kamakura Daibutsu is a bronze statue of the Amida Buddha.
1: It is 11.4 meters tall, which is a lot of meters. Including the base, it measures 13.35 meters tall. Oh, wow. <laughs> Just make it sound a little more impressive. That's 43.8 feet for our fellow Americans. And it weighs about 121 tons, which Wow. Is ridiculous. <laughs> it was long the second
0: tallest bronze Buddha statue in Japan, surpassed only by
1: the one in Nara. Did you say uh, when it was made? No. dates back to around 1252. Yeah, it was originally located
0: inside a small temple hall, but the temple buildings got destroyed multiple times by typhoons and tsunami in the 14th and 15th centuries. So since sometime in the 15th century, it's just been standing in open air. Mm-hmm. The statue never washes away, so they're just like, "Yeah, we won't rebuild the building this time.
1: Yeah, it's crazy how long that thing has survived. I mean, it makes sense. It's just a giant hunk of metal, but it's just so cool seeing something so old. And you can even go inside it, actually. I looked back at my pictures from my trip, because I remember it being super cheap, like kind of ridiculously cheap to go inside. There is 20 yen per 20, person. I saw that. I was like, 20? yeah, that's like nothing. yeah. So obviously worth it. You can go inside there. There are informational panels that explain how it was created. And it's pretty cool. Like, obviously, they had to cast it in different pieces and assemble it. But the way they engineered it was so good that, you know, it survived the Kanto earthquake. Yep. And from inside, you can see the seams and, like, the pieces that are locking them together. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's awesome to go inside. Another thing that I noticed when I visited that I thought was pretty cool is they have a pair of woven Zori, the sandals you know, yeah, hanging on uh, on this wall, but they're big enough to accommodate the statue <laughs> like they're enormous, so like six feet, yeah, well, I guess it's like an offering to the Buddha or something that's cool, I like that, yeah, so from Kotokuin. If you walk south back towards Hase Station where you came from, you're going to pass by another temple called Hasedera. And this place might sound familiar if you listen to our Folk Tales episode back in episode 60, where I told the story of Princess Hase. Remember that, Paul? Yep. Her parents, the parents of Princess Hase, came to this temple back in the 700s to pray for a child. So this is a super old temple. Legend says it was established in the early 700s. And it's a temple to Kanon, Kami that we have talked about before as well. She's kind of an all-purpose Kami. People pray to her for all sorts of things. And there are all these different versions of Kanon for different situations.
0: Hasedera is also known for a statue. It has a very famous 11-headed statue of Kanon. It's 9.18 meters tall.
1: 30.1 feet. <laughs> That's huge for a wooden statue. Yeah, and it's gilded, like it's covered in gold leaf, right? Yes. According to legend, it was carved all the way back in 721 by a monk named Tokudo. According to legend, it was carved from the same tree as a
0: similar statue that's worshipped at the Hasadera Temple
1: in Nara. Huh. I wonder where the tree came from, because I remember hearing uh, when we did our Kiyomizu Talked about how they had that statue that was carved from the sacred stump. Remember that? Yeah. Or a sacred log, something like that.
0: There's more temple stuff there. There's a small museum, some exhibits of temple treasures and whatnot, with uh, an English pamphlet for you to read, if that's your language.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I mentioned that picture I took of the beach in Kamakura. Yeah. I took it from this temple. There's some really amazing views you can get because the temple is actually halfway up Mount Kamakura. So there are like these trails that kind of go up behind the temple a little bit, and you can look out over the beach and the city. Really cool. Uh, another notable feature of the temple is it has a cave. Read about the cave? I heard it had a cave, I didn't really see what was in it. So it's called Bentenkutsu Kutsu or Ten Grotto. And it's not like a big open natural cavern cave kind of thing. It's more like a tunnel, to be honest, but it's still really fun to explore. And it's filled with statues to Benzaiten, the sea goddess. Okay. And there's even a spot where you can pay 300 yen and then you get your own little two inch tall statue of Benzaiten and you can like place it wherever you want in the cave. So. There are just tons of them all over the place, nestled into like little pockets in the walls. It's fun. They're everywhere. So I don't know. I just thought it was really fun to discover this cave because, you know, I didn't do my research before I visited. And then I just all of a sudden see this big hole in the wall of this mountain. And I'm like, that's awesome. I need to check that out.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. There's also apparently a Jizo Do Hall, which has hundreds of small statues of the Jizo Bodhisattva.
1: Yeah, I, I remember seeing tons of Jizo there. And uh, if you listen to our, our last episode about Osorizan, we talked a lot about Jizo and what his deal is. Yep. So this is one temple where mourning parents can place Jizo statues to pray for their children's souls. And there are there's so many, man. I read that there are around 1,000 Jizo statues there. And each year, they're taken away to make room for more parents come there and just keep placing more and more Jizo, it's estimated that since World War II, more than 50,000 statues have been placed there. Wow. Yeah. Popular. Mm Mm-hmm. So now maybe you're ready to get back to the Enoden and continue west, but before you do, I just want to point out that there is a lot of other cool stuff around that area, not even necessarily other temples and stuff. There are just a lot of little shops you know, little food stands, souvenir shops, all sorts of stuff, especially on that main street leading away from Hase Station. So just a good place to walk around and check things out. When you're ready, go back to Hase Station, get back on the Enoden, take it a little further west, and honestly, you could really get off at any stop you wanted to on that line, because there are so many temples and shrines around, and like No matter where you stop, you're going to be within walking distance of at least one or two. And there's just a lot of fun stuff to see. It's I always like those days on vacation where you can just wander and see what you discover, you know? Yeah, that can be a lot of fun. Just get off the path a little bit and just see what's there. Mm-hmm. At the very least, though, I would say make sure you take it past Inamura-Gasaki Station. Because at that point, the train line goes right along the shore, like really close to the shore. You can look out at the water, really beautiful views. Nice. Yeah. And I would definitely recommend stopping at Enoshima Station and walking out across the bridge to Enoshima, which is a little island just off the coast. And is such a cool place. Technically, it's not in Kamakura. It's just like right past the border of Kamakura. But if you're in Kamakura... You pretty much got to stop at Enoshima. There's just so much cool stuff to see. You can see Mount Fuji if it's a really clear day. Yeah, it wasn't clear enough when I was there, sadly.
0: (laughs) Don't want to keep bringing that up, but, you know, I felt I should mention that. Uh, There are several shrine buildings that are collectively known as Enoshima Shrine. They're found various spots around the island. Um, They're dedicated to Ben 10.
1: Ben 10, Ben 10, those refer to the same... It's believed that Benten created Enoshima
0: before subduing a five-headed dragon that was terrorizing the area. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, I'm going to create this beautiful island, and now I'm going to go slay this dragon. Nice. What a badass. Yeah, Sea Goddess. That's a pretty (laughs) cool uh, (laughs) title. Yeah, that'd be a great title.
1: I don't have any titles. You can be the podcast goddess I just better nothing. I'll take it. <laughs> so there's a
0: lot of other stuff to do and see on the island. What uh, were the highlights for you, Jason?
1: Um, well, so you talked about that dragon. I'm not sure if that dragon in the story is related to the one that I met, but there's this cave in the side of the island, and you just casually met a dragon there. Yeah, no big deal. <laughs> so and you know, I should describe the island. It's like the main part of the island is is almost like raised up above the water. So the sides, they're like cliffs, and then all the stuff that there is to see and do is kind of up above everything. Does that make sense? Yes. So there's a cave that goes into one of the cliffs, and remember I was talking about the the Hojo family crest, the Legend of Zelda Triforce thing? Yeah. I remember seeing little uh, lanterns along this cave with that symbol on there. And once you go through to the end of this cave, there's a dragon in there, a statue of a dragon, and you are supposed to clap and make a wish. And then there's something the dragon does. Man, what was it? it its eyes flash or something if your wish is going to come true. Yeah, you meet a dragon and you can make wishes. So that that's sounds pretty cool. fun. There are also just tons of cool shops and restaurants again, and uh, there are cats all over. That's always fun. Yeah. Seeing stray cats. Just chilling in the park with some cats. They're just all over the island. Yeah, anywhere. Out kind of by the cave with the dragon, there are these rocks, you know, just right above the water that you can walk out on. And there are a bunch of fishermen out there, or at least there were when I was there. That was pretty cool. We had like a a sunset in the background. I just got to sit and watch these fishermen. Nice relaxing time. And you know how I'm all about the local specialties, right? Got to try some local food. Yeah. In Enoshima, their local specialty is called shirasu. And it's these little tiny baby fishies that are served either raw or boiled. So you can, like all over the island, you can get rice bowls covered in these little tiny fishies. So if you want to eat like a hundred fish at once, you can check that out. (laughs) And even I've seen a video on YouTube where somebody found shirasu ice cream there. Okay, I believe it. ice cream with little tiny fishies blended into it. I, I didn't find that, but if you're adventurous, give that a try. Did you get the Enopass Pass and use the escalators, or did you hike? I walked. My legs were tired, man.
0: Yeah. So if you don't want tired legs, there's an Eno Pass, which is a combined ticket that lets you use these big escalators that'll take you kind of up the hills. And it also gets you into the main attractions, the garden, the caves, and the observation tower. And it's only a 1,000 yen, so not too, not too pricey. Nice. So if you spend the day on the island, that might be a good idea. Sure. And uh, it gets you a discount at the spa, too,
1: which apparently there's a spa there. All right. So that's pretty much how I spent my day. Going right along the coast there, seeing a bunch of temples and ending up at Enoshima. But really, so far, we've just talked about a fairly small section of the city. Like, there are so many other temples and shrines to visit. You could spend a week doing like five temples or shrines a day, probably, if you wanted to. Uh, One of the more popular ones is called Hokokuji. This is a Rinzai Zen Buddhist temple. This is the one that caught my eye. Okay. Like, I saw this one and I was
0: like, I want to go there. Why? The bamboo garden? Yeah. They've Gotta got love bamboo. this beautiful bamboo garden in the temple. And you can walk through it and it leads back to a little tea house that you could sit in and they make you green tea, matcha. Yeah, they're whisking the old ladies whisking it up, just perfect for you. Yeah. It seems so relaxing and awesome.
1: Yeah, I love that, man. I've been to a few places where they have like this beautiful garden. And then once you walk through there, you end up at a tea house and you get a bowl of matcha and a little wagashi, a sweet treat to go with it. Just a great experience.
0: There's also some caves on the hillsides there that are believed to hold the ashes of some ancient lords.
1: Okay, I believe it. Enough ancient lords died around there. (laughs) Yeah. So that place is located east of Kamakura Station. You can take a bus for 10 minutes, or you could even walk there. It just takes like 30, 40 minutes to walk there. Uh, Another popular temple is Engakuji, one of the leading Zen temples in eastern Japan, and number two of Kamakura's five great Zen temples. Ooh, yeah, there's there's five great Zen temples. Like, there's so many temples. Yeah. This one was founded by Hojo Tokimune in 1282. Its main gate dates back to 1783, and this is, this is my favorite part. They have a hall called the Shadi Den in which Buddha's Tooth is enshrined. Buddha, Like the Buddha's Tooth? That's right. Oh, wow. It's a national treasure. I bet. And it can only be seen from a distance most of the year. I assume you can only get up close maybe during a festival or something like that. Okay. They have another national treasure, uh, a big bell that stands on a hill next to their tea house. And of course, at the tea house, you can get tea, sweet sake, Japanese sweets. And they have these famous sweet cold noodles there. Sounds good. I want to try that. Sounds good. I don't think I've ever had sweet cold noodles. Sounds interesting. Yeah. Uh, The temple's also known specifically for their fall colors. Pretty views.
0: Nice. Yeah, it's interesting, all the parallels to Kyoto. You know, it was the ancient capital it's kind of surrounded by hills. You've got all these amazing temples and shrines up in the hills surrounding the city, just like in Kyoto.
1: I didn't think of that, but yeah, you're totally right. Like, I feel like if you didn't have time to go all the way to Kyoto or something on a trip to Tokyo, you could just stop at Kamakura and at least get a little taste of that kind of feel. Very
0: much so. Yeah, I mean, Kyoto's got so much to see. You could spend a week there seeing all the stuff. Kamakura can give you that feel in a day.
1: Mm -hmm. So as we alluded to earlier, another popular thing to do around Kamakura is go to festivals or Matsuri. They have a ton of them at all times of year. Should we go through the year chronologically?
0: Yeah. I mean, I picked out five or so that happen out of the many, 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 because we can't highlight them all. Sure. Do you have a January
1: one? Yes. January 4th, Chona Hajime Shiki. Translates to something like first hatchet ceremony.
0: Makes sense. It's early January. It's going to be the first. It's held at the main Hachibangu, Hachiban Shrine. Mm-hmm. The event marks the beginning of the working year for local construction workers. And for the ceremony, they use all their traditional working tools. Mm hmm.
1: The festival commemorates Minamoto no Yoritomo for when he ordered reconstruction of the main building at the shrine after it was destroyed by fire in 1191. Yeah, I thought that was kind of
0: funny. It's like, this guy just gave us work for five years. Yeah, we'll (laughs) hold a festival for him.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was a good day for construction workers, I guess. It's a better day if you got work to do. Sure. In February, at various temples and shrines around the city, they have a setsubun matsuri, We've talked about Setsubun a few times before. Got to toss your beans. Yeah. So uh, the festival celebrates the end of winter and they throw beans around to scare out the oni and bring in good luck. End of winter in February. That would be nice if that actually happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Kamakura
0: Matsuri happens second to third Sunday in April every year.
1: That's another one that's held at various locations around the city. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a whole week's worth of events to celebrate the city and its history. So there's a lot they could do for that. <laughs> yeah, It's been held since 1959. They have traditional theatrical performances, tea ceremonies, and horseback archery. A lot of horseback archery, but it's so cool. I really
0: want to go watch like a show of horseback archery.
1: Yeah. I didn't realize that was such a big thing in Japan, but there's uh, another festival we're going to talk about in a little bit that... Does a lot of that too. Are you talking about Kusajishi? That's what it's called. Held
0: on May 5th. Uh, it's also held at Hachibangu. They have archers in samurai gear shooting arrows at straw deer while reciting old poems. Yeah. That's the part that caught me.
1: Like, oh, another archer thing. Cool. Wait, they're like reciting old poetry while they do it? Yeah. It sounds like a really theatrical sort of thing. Apparently it's an ancient rite that has been performed ever since the Kamakura period. That's really cool. I want to see that one. Yeah, totally. And uh, the point of it is to show the high military skills of the samurai. Okay. Poetry, a high military skill. You learn something every day. Yeah. I guess it's related to how, you know, in the samurai episode, we talked about how samurai, they were like fierce warriors, but they were also really educated and, you know, they were all into poetry and stuff. Kind of interesting to bring those two things together in this ceremony. Yeah. What do you got next? On August 10th, or the next Monday, if that happens to be a Saturday, they do a full hour of fireworks on the beach just south of Kamakura Station. You know how Japan loves their fireworks. I
0: watched a video of it, and it's a really impressive fireworks display. Before I watched the video, I hadn't heard that was a full hour's worth of fireworks. (laughs) I kept
1: skipping ahead like... How long do these fireworks go for? It is pretty long. It would. It was an hour. How long are fireworks things here usually? I mean, I feel like a good one would be like 20 minutes. I guess. Like an hour long is a lot
0: of fireworks, man.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it really does seem like Japan loves their fireworks. So it seems like they're happening all the time at like every summer festival and in any anime where things happen during the summer, they always make a point to go see the fireworks together, you
0: know? Yeah. I think this is kind of like an end of summer thing.
1: Yeah. Like here's the big fireworks show. We're at the end of summer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. On September 14th to 16th, there's the Tsurugaoka Hachimangu Reitaisai, famous festival with a lot going on. There is more of that horseback archery and... The arrows that they use are designed to whistle when they fly through the air so the spectators can hear them. That's cool. Yeah, I want to see that. Uh, There's also a tea ceremony, traditional dances, a parade of mikoshi. Mikoshi are those kind of floats, parade floats sort of things that people carry on their shoulders that are housing the kami. Mm -hmm. They're like parading the kami around and giving them a little ride through the crowd. And, of course, they have a bunch of festival food and drinks. I mean, at all these festivals, there's going to be food and drinks. Oh, yeah. Got all these food stalls like lined up, all sorts of stuff. It's great. So
0: researching this, I heard people saying that Kamakura, like compared to somewhere like Kyoto, for example, has like a smaller town feel to the festivals. They're not yeah. as like corporate. They're just sponsored by local businesses and stuff. Sure. But then I hear a lot of people also saying they're super popular too. So it almost seems a little contradictory,
1: but maybe it could be both. I wonder how much the Kyoto festivals are influenced by international tourism. You know, mm. lots of people go, to, I mean, feels like almost everybody that goes to Japan from outside of Japan is going to go to Kyoto. So I bet there are tons of foreigners in the crowds and that kind of pushes them to be extra big and showy, you know, but Kamakura, I mean, even just walking around the city, like you get that small town feel. And like we said, a lot of the tourism is domestic. So I, I imagine that they would be able to stick to more traditional Japanese ideas of what these festivals are supposed to look like, you know? Yeah. Good
0: place to catch a Matsuri. Definitely. So there's a few easy ways to get to Kamakura from Tokyo. I'm just going to assume you're coming from Tokyo because it's the nearest big city or monster city, whatever. JR Railways has two lines, apparently. The JR Yokosuka line connects from Tokyo Station directly to Kamakura Station. One-way trip for 940 yen makes a bunch of stops along the way. There's also the JR Shonan Shinjuku line that directly connects Shinjuku Station to Kamakura Station. is also 940 yen, the exact same amount. All right. But you have to take a train that's bound for Zushi, which is only every other train. Otherwise, you have to stop and switch trains at some point. So that's an important note. But if you're taking a round trip, you can take the Odakyu Railway and buy the Enoshima-Kamakura Free Pass. Which lets you get a free round trip from Shinjuku to Kamakura and also unlimited usage of that Enoden train. Oh, nice. And it's only 1,520 yet. So less than two trips on the other ones. Nice. So that's how you go to Kamakura. All right. And why you should. I feel like I've said this so many times, but Kamakura is on my list now. There's no way I'm going to be like, my list is probably like 20 things at least since (laughs) we started doing this podcast yeah. and I still can't get to Japan to start checking any of these off, but
1: someday. It's a cool place, man. I, you know, I just spent one day there and hit, you know, maybe half the stuff that we talked about, but it was a really fun day. Like it's just one of those places where no matter where you end up, you're going to find something interesting to see. Yep. That all you got, Paul? That's it. All right, well, I have one more thing before we end. Blow me away. I got a fun fact for you. Yes,
0: I was hoping it was a fun fact.
1: Did you know that Kamakura is a sister city with Nashville, Tennessee? I did not. (laughs) Isn't that weird? That's cool. Since 2014, they've been sister cities. And I looked up sister cities because I never really got what that was all about. You know, what what does it mean? I've done the same thing. you, You looked them up? In the past, because I'm like, what
0: does that mean? I had the same thought you did. What did you learn? It seems mostly just to be like cultural exchange. Yeah, for the most part. To
1: varying degrees. There's an organization I found, Sister Cities International, that deals with these relationships. And they basically help organize activities, including municipal, business, trade, educational, and cultural exchanges and projects.
0: Yeah, I would imagine that. Nashville has sent some delegations with music because Nashville's a music city. I bet they've gone and performed over there.
1: Yeah, that would make sense. I saw that uh, as for exchange going the other way, Nashville has a cherry blossom festival now. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the biggest cultural exchange event kind of thing I found. And they do that sumo thing where people dress up in the big fat suits and uh, push each other around. <laughs> It feels like a very American interpretation of sumo, but yeah, I, guess, I mean that's not very Japanese. But yeah. okay, <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, I'm sure they have fun. All right, well, I guess that's it for Kamakura. Hope you were inspired to visit because it's a lot of fun. If you want to see some pictures of Kamakura? I'll be posting some stuff on Instagram. We are SJP Podcast, and you know if you've been listening to the podcast for a while and want to let us know how we're doing. What's the best way they can do that, Paul? Leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcasting platform. That'd be awesome. Paul, what are we talking about next time? We're talking about the best condiment in the world.
0: No, not Japanese mayo. We're talking about... Whoa, whoa,
1: whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, wait, wait, wait. We're talking about soy sauce. Uh, Okay, soy sauce is pretty good
0: too. It's the best. (laughs) It's good stuff. You won't believe how much we're
1: going to have to say about soy sauce. (laughs) Yeah, it's a surprisingly interesting topic. Thanks for listening. See you next time.